Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 8th, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Now, I don't need to tell you the great importance of this chapter and how many times it is read around the world every year, especially in December around Christmas time. It is where we traditionally read the Christmas story, and this passage is filled with great truth. What I want to do today is do the very best I can to help you to understand something of the context that led to this, and then we'll go through the verses. Often when I am preaching out of this passage and teaching out of this passage, I begin by citing Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, where it says, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who are under the law. And the purpose is so that we could be adopted into his family. That's interesting, in the fullness of time. This is the same kind of phrase that is used other places in the Bible, most notably in the book of Acts chapter 2, where it talks about when the time was right, when the occasion was right, when the day of Pentecost had fully arrived. In other words, We have been studying the silent years. We had extra bonus sessions, three of them on the fullness of time. And I shared with you how that during those silent years that God was active getting the world ready for the coming of Messiah Jesus. And indeed he was. He developed the synagogue system through the dispersion of the Jews throughout the world. And so that everywhere the gospel was to go, it would always be preached to the Jew first. And that's not just because that the Jews are the first to hear the gospel, but there were preaching points in every major city and in many of the hamlets and villages around the Greco-Roman world. That came about through those silent years. That's right. It's not during the Old Testament, the Tanakh, that the synagogue was formed. It was unheard of then. You had the temple. You had the tabernacle. You had a portable worship center here and there, then those glorious temples. But during the silent years, the synagogue came about, and it was developed primarily during the Babylonian captivity when the people were without a meeting place, a central place of worship, and it was even more elaborately defined during the days of the Persian period, and especially the days of Ezra and following. And so we've talked about that. We'll talk about it more in tomorrow's podcast. But I want you to understand that God prepared the world. He prepared the Roman armies. The Roman armies would have to march on roads, so they built roads so that the gospel would take the Apostle Paul and the other missionaries and apostles around the world on roads that were built by Roman armies, maintained by them. There was the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. 
There was one language worldwide, one trade language, the lingua franca of the day was Koine Greek, common Greek, what the common man spoke on the street. That's what the New Testament was written in. When I studied Greek my early years in the language, I didn't even know the capital letters. Uh, and the reason is, is because most of the New Testament's written in small case letters, not the flamboyant Greek letters that you see on uh, Greek sororities and uh, fraternities. No, those are capital letters. The New Testament was written in the common language of the man, Koine, common Greek, and it was almost all in small case letters. And so all to say, all of this was was all preparation for the time when Jesus would come, when Messiah would come. So when we come to Luke chapter 2, Augustus, whose name was Octavian, and I've told the story about he and Mark Antony and all of the things that happened between them and Cleopatra and how that Octavian, the grand nephew of Julius Caesar, who in his last will and testament adopted Octavian as his own, that after the Battle of Actium in 31 B.C. when Octavian defeated Antony and Cleopatra, that uh, the Senate at Rome declared him, whether he came up with it or the Senate, whoever the case was, as the august one, the exalted one. That's what august means in Latin, exalted. And so Augustus Caesar was the exalted one, and he had all of the army to pay for, the empire expansion, all of his luxuries and all of the bureaucracy of Rome to pay for, and so he needed money to do that. And so all of these places they were occupying, they needed those people to pay tribute and taxes. And in order to do that, they have to know who they are and where they are, so they had to take a census. So there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, should be registered in a census. Now, this census, this taxing, was first put into place when Quirinius was governing Syria. That's a historical note. Remember, every Bible writer from Moses to John, including Luke, assumed that the people to whom they were writing understood the historical and geographical and cultural context of the day. So everyone knew who Quirinius was and that he was in Syria. That was a time marker. So all went to be taxed or registered, everyone to his own ancestral city where his ancestry lay. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, the house of bread, where David had grown up because he was the house and lineage of David. And he was going there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, you cannot tell me that they would have made that long trek while she was nine months pregnant just to register because this registering in all of these registrations in ancient census, they had uh, what we would call months to do that. No, they were not going there for that census. They were going to do what we say as a cliche. They were going to kill two birds with one stone. In other words, with one trip, they were going to register, but they were going for a higher purpose. It was Passover. It was spring of the year. And remember, Pesach, Passover, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, which is called Pentecost in the New Testament, and Tabernacles, three times a year, they were to make their journey of pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. 
And so this is what they were doing. Why? Because they were a religious family. They were religious Jews. Jesus came up in an observant family of Jews who were religious. I mean, after all, Mary was the godliest woman on the planet. This is why she was able to bear the Son of God that would be supernaturally, divinely, the seed impregnated within her. This was not some irreligious family. They were a religious family. Jesus grew up in a religious family. Jesus was an observant Jew. This is silly when we say that Jesus and the apostles were not religious people. Now, some of them may not have been, but Jesus was, Peter was, Andrew was, John was, James was, Philip was. We could go on and on. And the reason is, is because of the things that the Bible teaches us. And I've gone over those in the past and not going to do that here. But they were more than likely going up for Passover in the spring of the year. You say, well, why would you say it was then? Because of verse 8. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields. Why were they living out in the fields? Well, from all the research I can do of the ancient world and those that I know that do a lot more than I do, the reality is that the shepherds were only out in the fields with their flocks uh, two to three weeks a year during lambing season. That's in the spring of the year. It has been from time immemorial and will be until the Lord comes. Why? Because those who bred the sheep, they would have the sheep bred so that they would all give birth during that period, right after the early and uh, during the latter rains, just immediately after that. In most cases where the grass would be as green as it's going to be for as long as it can be, because remember, Israel is a desert country and it has a rainy season that usually ends around Passover. The grass is green from the winter rains for about three months. You get into mid-May past and you're already turning brown. And by mid-June, it is brown, if not before. The uh, lambs uh, and the ewes only have about three months there to really get those lambs a good start and uh, where they can eat plenty of green grass and make white milk for those lambs. And and so this is when they were bred so that they could get a good start and get a, enlarge their flocks. And so this is when the breeding season happened just in time for them to be born during this Passover time. Now, remember, the next year, all of the sheep are around Bethlehem, these lambs that were the fittest and the best and uh, without blemish, they would be offered in a sacrificial offering at Passover because these pilgrims that came from all over the earth, they didn't come with their lambs in hand from 100 miles, 200 miles, 50 miles, or 1,000 miles away. These were lifetime journeys. They would buy their lambs when they came there. Now, all the lambs around the Bethlehem area, all the way down to the Tower of Eder, which would have been below Bethlehem, south of Bethlehem, toward Hebron, that was all the Levitical fields. So these shepherds that were out there were Levitical shepherds. They were raising sheep for sacrifice for the next year. And they would go out at night and so that when the ewes would give birth at night, they would wrap those lambs up, those sacrificial lambs, potentially so. They would wrap them up in swaddling clothes until daylight. They would unwrap them to make sure that they were not of blemish and they were not spotted. They didn't get hurt during the night. And so these sacrificial lambs that would be offered in the temple as a sacrifice for sins, these in those ritual offerings, they would be wrapped in swaddling clothes. The angels told the shepherds, said, behold, I give you a sign, a sign. 
And what was this sign? He said, don't be afraid simply because we're going to tell you good news. And then they go on to say, it says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12 says, and this shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, this babe was wrapped in swaddling clothes. What'd that mean? It was a lamb. That babe represented the lamb, the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. They had just said the Savior's going to be born. He is Messiah. He is the Lord. He is God Almighty. He is the promised one. He's the anointed one. The shepherds understood what that was. They saw this great miraculous manifestation, and immediately they went. Now, Luke goes on to say in verse 21, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, that's a ritual act of a religious Jew, his name was called Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua. This was the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Who was it given to? To Joseph to assure him that this was God impregnating his wife and that she had not been with another man so that he wouldn't divorce her. And so all of this you can read about in the other Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew and so forth. And this is a fascinating turn of events and and a passage of Scripture. And so it says, Now when the days of purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, this was for Mary, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. He was the firstborn. And offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the instruction of Moses and the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, whatever they could afford. So it tells the story of Simeon and of Anna, how that they witnessed that this was indeed the Redeemer. And then it says in verse 39, So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, God's instruction in Torah, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then the next thing we have recorded is what is called today a bar mitzvah when the child at 12 or 13, boy or girl, they have these bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment and one who reads a Torah portion, a portion out of the Torah or a bat mitzvah, we would call it when you have a daughter of the commandments or the covenant. So this is exactly what was going on here in the gospel of Luke verses 41 and following. Not as such, but this grew out of this tradition of at age 12, the young boys could become a part of the minion. You see, in order for a Jewish prayer meeting to take place, you've got to have 10, a minion of men. And this doesn't mean Jesus became a man then. You don't become a man in the Bible till age 20. And that's in the Tanakh from start to finish uh, in the law, the prophets and the writings, what we call the Old Testament. And it's age 20 when a man has a different accountability. That's when he's a man. That's when he can go out to war. That's when on and on and on. And so this is a very important. Jesus could be a part of the prayer minion and he could ask questions. And that's exactly what he was doing. Remember, every Bible writer from Moses to John assumed the people knew this. So they didn't give the background and say, now, this is why Jesus was here. And this is why he did this. And this is why he did that. Why? Because everybody knew that. 
We're the only ones that don't know that because we are Western. We are not Middle Eastern. And so how can we know except some man teach us? That's what the question of the Ethiopian eunuch was. And it's the same question that's being asked today. That's all the time I have for On the Way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.